Somebody's Luggage, a collection of themed short stories by Charles Dickens and other Victorian writers. Eminent London head waiter Mr. Christopher has discovered and purchased a mysterious set of luggage that had been abandoned by its owner in the private hotel and dining establishment where he works. In specific items of the luggage, there is a set of handwritten papers, each containing a story written by the luggage's owner, who is known only to Mr. Christopher as somebody. Episode 4. Discovered in the Brown Paper Parcel. The Story of a Fine Artist by Charles Dickens. My works are well known. I am a young man in the art line. You have seen my works many a time, though it is fifty thousand to one if you have seen me. You say you don't want to see me? You say your interest is in my works and not in me? Don't be too sure about that. I am a young man in the fine art line. You have seen my works over and over again, have been curious about me and think you have seen me. Now, as a safe rule, you never have seen me, and you never will. I think that's plainly put. If there's a blighted public character going, I am the party. It has been remarked by a certain or an uncertain philosopher that the world knows nothing of its greatest men. He might have put it plainer if he had thrown his eye in my direction. He might have put it that, while the world knows something of them that apparently go in and win, it knows nothing of them that really go in. And don't win. Not that it's only myself that suffers from injustice, but I am more alive to my own injuries than to any other man's. Perhaps I am soured by not being popular, but suppose I am popular. Suppose my works never fail to attract that whether they are exhibited by natural light or artificial, they inevitably draw the public. Then no doubt they are preserved in some collection. No, they are not. Copyright. No copyright. Anyhow, they must be somewhere. Wrong again. For often... They are nowhere. Those that are acquainted with London are aware of a place on the Surrey side of the River Thames called the Obelisk, or more generally, the Obstacle. My lodging is not far from that locality. I am a young man of that easy disposition that I lie abed till it is absolutely necessary to get up and earn something. And then I lie abed again until I have spent it.
It was on an occasion that I found myself walking along the Waterloo Road one evening after dark, accompanied by Mr Click, an acquaintance and fellow lodger in the gas-fitting way of life. He is very good company. Tom, what a mystery hangs over you. Yes, Mr Click, a mystery does hang over me. Makes you low, you see, don't it? Why, yes, Mr Click. There are circumstances connected with it that have a lowering effect. Hmm. Gives you the touch of the misanthrope too, don't it? Well, I'll tell you what. If I was you, I'd shake it off. If I was you, I would, Mr Click. But if you was me, you wouldn't. Ah, there's something in that. You see, Tom, it seems to me you have a silent sorrow there. I have, Mr. Click. I hope, Tom, it is not forged... <clears throat> Counterfeiting anything, for instance? No, Mr. Click. I am lawfully in the art line. Fine art line. But I can say no more. Ah, you are under a kind of malignant spell. A sort of gloomy destiny... Tanker, pegging away at your vitals in secret as well as I can make it out. I told Mr Click that was about it if we came to particulars. I thought he appeared rather proud of me. Our conversation had brought us to a crowd of people struggling to see something on the pavement. This proved to be various designs executed in coloured chalks on the stones, lit by two candles. The subjects included a fine fresh salmon's head and shoulders from the fishmongers, a moonlight night at sea, some dead game, the head of a hoary hermit engaged in devout contemplation, and a cherubim, his flesh creased as in infancy, on a horizontal errand against the wind. All these subjects appeared to me to be exquisitely done. On his knees, on one side of this gallery, a shabby person of modest appearance, who shivered dreadfully, though it wasn't at all cold, was engaged in blowing the chalk dust off the moon and fattening the downstroke of a letter or two in the writing. This writing formed a part of the composition. It also appeared to me to be exquisitely done. <laughs> having finished his touching up and having spoiled those places, the artist took his seat on the pavement with his knees crouched up to his chin. The coins began to rattle in. A pity to see a man of that talent brought so low, ain't it? What he might have done in coach painting or house decorating. Why, he writes alone, like the Lord Chancellor. No, better. I know his writing. He couldn't support his family this way. Oh, look at the natural fluffiness of the hermit's hair. And the gills of the salmon. You can almost see him gasp. At every fresh question or remark, the crowd leaned forward more eagerly and dropped their money more freely, and the modest man gathered the coins up more meekly. Thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. You're so very kind. Here is sixpence and here is my card, sir. Come to my office tomorrow and you will have some copying to do. Oh, thank you very much, sir. You got a chance in life now, ain't you? I'm thankful to hope so. You're all right.
At which point the flow of donated money slackened very decidedly. I felt myself pulled away by the arm and Mr Click and I stood alone at the corner of the next crossing. Why, Tom, what a horrid expression you have on your face. Have I? Have you? You looked as if you would have his blood. Whose blood? The artist's. The artist's? <laughs> Thomas, I find it necessary to be plain with you. I don't like the envious man. I have identified the canker that's pegging away at your vitals, and it is envy, Thomas. Is it? Yes, it is. Thomas, beware of envy. It is the green-eyed monster which never did and never will improve each shining hour. Quite the reverse. I dread the envious man, Thomas. I confess that I am afraid of him when he is as envious as you are whilst you contemplated the works of a gifted rival, and whilst you heard him praised, and especially whilst you met his humble glance when he took that gentleman's card, your expression was so malevolent as to be terrifying. Thomas, I have heard of the envy of them that follows the fine art line, but I never believed it could be what yours is. I wish you well, but I take my leave of you. With these words... Mr. Click parted from me, and we broke off our acquaintance. I became enamoured. Her name was Henrietta. Contending with my easy disposition, I frequently got up to go after her. She also dwelt in the neighbourhood of the obstacle, and I did fondly hope that no other man would interpose in the way of our union. To say that Henrietta was volatile is but to say she was a woman. She consented to walk with me upon trial. I am not yet prepared to regard you, Thomas, in any other light than as a friend. But as a friend, I am willing to walk with you on the understanding that softer sentiments may flow. Under the influence of Henrietta's beguilement, I now got out of bed daily. I pursued my calling with an industry before unknown. One evening in October, I was walking with Henrietta, enjoying the cool breezes wafted over Vauxhall Bridge. After several slow turns, she gaped frequently. So inseparable from woman is the love of excitement. Oh, let's go home by Grosvenor Place, Piccadilly and Waterloo Bridge. No, not by Piccadilly, Henrietta. Why not Piccadilly, for goodness sake? I don't like Piccadilly, Henrietta. But I do. It's dark now, and the long rows of lamps after dark are beautiful. I will go. Of course we went. It was a pleasant night and there were numbers of people in the streets. We passed the garden wall of the Royal Palace going up to Grosvenor Place. Oh, I wish I was a queen. Why so, Henrietta? I would make you a... Something. (laughs) (laughs) Thus, happily, we passed on into the detested thoroughfare Piccadilly. Oh, my. There's been an accident. Where, Henrietta? Not there, stupid. Over the park railings, where the crowd is. Oh, no. It's not an accident, but it's something else to look at. What's them lights? 
two candles on the pavement. Oh, do come along. Oh, do let's look. Again, there were designs drawn upon the pavement. In the centre compartment, Mount Vesuvius erupting, supported by four oval-shaped compartments of a ship in heavy weather, a shoulder of mutton attended by two cucumbers, a golden harvest with a distant cottage and a knife and fork. Above the centre, a bunch of grapes and over the whole a rainbow, the whole, as it appeared to me, exquisitely done. The person in attendance on these works of art was in all respects shabbiness accepted unlike the last. His whole appearance and manner denoted briskness. Though threadbare, he expressed to the crowd that poverty had not subdued his spirit or tinged with any sense of shame this honest effort to turn his talents to some account. The writing formed part of his composition and was conceived in a similarly cheerful tone which he read aloud to the crowd. The writer is poor but not despondent. To a British public he appeals. Honour to our brave army and also to our gallant navy. Britons, strike! This writer in common chalks would be grateful for any suitable employment. Home! Hurrah! The whole writing, too, appeared to me exquisitely done. But in one respect, like the last, this man, though seemingly hard at it with a great show of brown paper and rubbers, was only really fattening the downstroke of a letter here and there, or blowing the loose chalk off the rainbow. Though he did this with great confidence, as it struck me, he did it in so ignorant a manner and so spoilt everything he touched, I could not stop myself. Let that alone, will you? Hello. Why didn't you send a telegram? If we had known you was coming, we'd have provided something better for you. You understand a man's work better than he does himself, do you? Have you made your will? You're too clever to live long. Don't be hard upon a gentleman, madam. He may chance to be an artist himself. If so, he will have a fellow feeling with me when I lighten the bloom of my grapes. Ha! Or shade the orange of my rainbow. Like so. He seemed to do this so neatly and was so nimble about it that the money came flying in. Thanks, my generous public, thanks. You will stimulate me to further exertions. My name will be found in the list of British painters yet. You can never do better than that bunch of grapes. Oh, Thomas, them grapes. Not better than that, lady. I hope for the time when I shall paint anything but your own bright eyes and lips equal to life. Oh, Thomas, did you ever? But it must take you a long time, sir, to paint equal to that. I was apprenticed to it, miss, in the caves of Spain and Portingale. Ever so long, and two year over. <laughs> <laughs> He's a smart chap too, ain't he? And what AI? Oh, he need have AI. He couldn't draw that here burning mountain without AI. Somehow, this man had got himself accepted as an authority and everybody looked at his finger as he pointed out Vesuvius. 
To come to that effect in a general illumination would require AI, but to come to it with two dips, why, it's enough to blind him! Pretending not to have heard what was said, the personage in attendance on these artworks now winked to any extent with both eyes at once, as if the strain on his sight was too much, and threw back his long hair as if to cool his fevered brow. Oh, Thomas! How horrid you look! What do you mean by horrid? Oh, gracious! Why, you look as if you would have his blood! So I would for tuppence from his nose! I remained silent. We returned home in silence. Every step of the way, the softer sentiments that had flowed between us now ebbed twenty mile an hour. Adapting my conduct to the ebbing as I had done to the flowing, I let my arm drop limp and wished her such a cold good night that I keep within the bounds of truth when I characterise it as a rasper. The next day, I received the following document. Henrietta informs Thomas that my eyes are open to you. I must ever wish you well, but walking and us is separated by an unfarmable abyss. One so malignant to superiority, oh, that look at him, can never, never conduct. Signed, Henrietta. P.S. Oh, I meant conduct to the altar. Yielding to the easiness of my disposition, I went to bed for a week. During the whole of such time, London was bereft of the fruits of my labour. When I resumed it, I found that Henrietta was married to the artist of Piccadilly. Did I say to the artist? What cruel words were those? What bitter mockery! I, I, I am the artist. I was the real artist of Piccadilly and the Waterloo Road. I am the only artist of all those pavement subjects which daily and nightly arouse your admiration. The man you see with the papers of chalks and rubbers, touching up the downstrokes of writing and shading off the salmon, the man you give the credit and money to hires those works of art from me and brings nothing to him but lighting. The one seen by Mr. Click in the Waterloo Road can only write a single word, and that I taught him. The one seen by Henrietta by the Green Park railings can just smear into existence the two ends of a rainbow if very hard put upon to make a show. Such is genius in a commercial country. I am not up to the shivering, the liveliness or the wanting employment in an office. I am only up to originating and executing the work. In consequence of which, you will never see me. You think you see me when you see somebody else, and that somebody else is a mere commercial character. To conclude as I began, if there is a blighted public character going, I am the party. And often as you have seen, do see and will see my works, it's 50,000 to one if you'll ever see me. 
unless, when the lights are burnt down and the commercial character is gone, you should happen to notice a neglected young man perseveringly rubbing out the last traces of the pictures so that nobody can renew them. That is me. For our next story from Somebody's Luggage, we move to the world of Mr. Blorridge, a successful man who may just be too nice to be happy, until a supernatural intervention changes everything. In episode four of Somebody's Luggage, the story of a fine artist, Thomas the Artist was played very eerily by Ed Clark. Mr. Click was Richard Vince. Hannah Newell gave us Henrietta, and the pavement artists were Mark Smith and Jim Newberry. It was the excellent Emma Willits and other cast members who populated the crowd. The episode was adapted, produced and directed by Jim Newberry, with all sound and effects created by Robbie, the face for radio, Burgess. It is a joint venture between Revenge FM and Uptick Productions. (laughs) 